to welcome everybody here and also express my appreciation for the invitation to come and join you for one of your evenings and in your practice. And also I'm very glad to see a few faces that I have been, of people that I have been meeting at other occasions since I arrived, a few people from yesterday at IMC and uh, from the retreat that I've been teaching and it's very nice to see people back here. <laughs> so um, our theme for today is faith and interrelatedness and what, in what way they do unfold in our practice. and. I think we had, I mean, it was perfect. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed that, like, with the sound, with the meeting that happened next door, the ending of the meeting, and everything that happened around that. I mean, for me, this is just in in a very minor way, but it is like faith in the practice unfolding a perfect opportunity actually to practice that and to trust that even in a situation that is more difficult, like when there's a lot of sound going on in the background or actually getting very strong so that it's not right in the background anymore, but really getting part of our of our meditation and to trust that actually we can include, we can include into our lives, into our practice, even that where we don't choose to be there. Things that we could maybe also see as interference, but we have the choice to trust that that actually is quite all right. It's just like the meditation object changes from focusing on the breath. You choose, you focus on the sound instead and see how that affects you. See what kind of sensation that brings up in the body, in the mind, emotionally, and you work with that. I think, in my experience, that goes very well together with the Buddhist practice and very well together with my life as a nun. (laughs) I don't know if many of you know that we have been choosing really to live on faith, in faith, with whatever comes, with however our life is supported. This is, we trust that this is good enough. And I mean, it goes even so far, like in the time of the Buddha, like the Buddha himself has been saying, like, when you ordain, you have the four requisites, and you trust that this is really enough. The four requisites being to have the root of a tree as your place for one night, and or just the roof over your head for one night. The alms food that is offered 
is the other requisite, it's the second requisite. Whatever is offered for this day is fine, is appreciated. And the third requisite is, is medicines. Is that what is, what is given when the body gets sick? And that, go, that is meant in a very simple way. Actually, the Buddha has been laying down that this is what, like it goes to simplicity of using, I think, cow's urine. <laughs> so it's not medicine in the sense that we are used to use. It's not kind of medicines that are very expensive that, that are made up. This is like, this is the ground rule that we are living with. The, the fourth one is the robes that we are wearing. This is the fourth requisites we have in our lives. And even the robes at Buddha's time, the simplest way of looking at that was just robes from corpses, dyed, sewn pieces of cloth from corpses, dyed and sewn together. And this was, this was the simplest requisite that was available for the monks and the nuns at that time. And of course that changed and that has changed nowadays, as you can see. <laughs> we are not sitting in rags in front of you. But what it points as, it is really, can we be content with that, what is there right now? Can we open up and can we let go of our expectations of how we would like our life to unfold? Can we trust that whatever comes, whatever is unfolding, is actually good enough? And maybe even much more than good enough. But coming from the point of leaving it open, if I agree with that or not. I think one example that I could give you is, like in our tradition, we do have, because we do completely live on dana, our monasteries are, are run like they they came out of donations that people, partly from the Asian communities around in, in England or Europe, wherever our communities are, are established by the donations that come from the lay community. And like there is this mutuality if, which the Buddha has been laying down in during his lifetime is the, the relatedness between the monastic Sangha and the lay Sangha. Like the lay Sangha is supporting the monastic Sangha with the requisites to support them with them in the material needs that are there, while the monastic Sangha is supporting with teachings, with spiritual guidance, with counseling with being available when, when there are hard times, when uh, contact 
uh, help is needed. So in that way, there's a mutual relationship. When one side is not fully there, the other side can't really exist. And I think this is also why the Buddha has been laying it down in that way, that when there is a mutual relationship between all parts of the Sangha, between the lay Sangha and the monastic Sangha, the whole community can exist and work together in harmony. In, like, I think for nowadays life, it is often, I mean, when my experience is like when I tell to people that we have people who are not connected, who are not part of the lay Sangha, that we have monasteries and that they are completely run on donations. Often people are just very surprised and hardly can believe that that is true nowadays. Because wherever you go, you have to pay if you want something. And this is completely different. This is, and this is why I'm speaking about it right now. This is really allowing and trusting for that to unfold whatever is possible, to trusting in trusting that the Dharma supports those who uphold the Dharma. This is something we are chanting every day. It's part of our, of our morning and evening chantings. And moving, for myself, moving into this tradition and seeing, experiencing how it unfolds, how it works, has established a much deeper sense of trust in that that what can unfold unfolds when we give it the space. When I start planning my day from the begin to the end and I don't leave any space for the mystery to happen, for that what I don't expect to happen, then there's no space for it to happen. It's like there comes the trust in that I allow, at least to a certain degree, things to unfold. And so in the practice, in the, in the meditation practice, if I structure everything from, like every sitting from the begin until the end, there's no space for the mystery, for the depths to unfold. And also, like that, what is not unexpected to come in. Another example I could give is like, this morning actually I have been talking with a friend about that. In our tradition, like in the Theravadan tradition, in the Achancha lineage that I'm living and am I ordained it, in, like we do have the practice to go on faith, on, pin, on faith pinned apart, which means like we take our arms balls and we go into the next village or into the next town 
and we collect alms food. How that works is that we go to the town and we stay in one place and whatever comes is fine. So, and it's quite interesting when, when you start doing that in a place where nobody knows you, people, it's, it's quite an interesting experience because people start looking at you. And usually the first thing they do is they come and want to put money into our bowls. And of course, in our tradition, we don't accept money. We can't actually receive money when we are fully ordained, like Sister Jyotipani and myself, we could not directly receive any money donations. So when that happens, we, we have to say to the people, actually, we, we are not here to receive money. And everybody is, what? What are you here for? <laughs> because everybody is used to, when somebody stands somewhere, they, they want money. <laughs> and it's quite interesting to see when we say that, that how, how the, not just the surprise, but how the, how the faces are opening up. There's something else. What does that mean? And then usually we say, like we, we stay here, we stand here, because we do collect our arms food. And it is very lovely because many people who at first want to give money have a second sword without asking us. And they, after a while they come back and put food into our bowls. And that will be the meal for the day for us. I mean, if we don't receive food, we won't go back to the monastery to have a nice meal. <laughs> this is like, we go with the dedication, we go on faith. Whatever is given is fine, is good enough. And if it's nothing, which rarely happens, but it does happen, then also that is fine. We still survive. <laughs> um, we actually have been, this is how have we have been starting in our tradition to do it. Like we went, like say once a week or twice a week to go on faith the part and always different groups, like sometimes two of the monks, sometimes two of the nuns do that. And then we were discovering what effect it actually had on the community around us. And it, when I say the community around us, I don't mean like our direct lay sangha, our direct lay supporters, but people who just happen to live in the same area as we do. And we discovered that when we do that, it actually brings a lot of joy. It brings a lot of joy for others to be able to give. And so, like there's this relationship between faith, trust, receiving and giving, which is, which is very beautiful. And we have been even going so far, like I think two years ago, two of our sisters in England went on a tudong in Wales. It's one part of Britain. And they went for two months. And they did not take, of course, they couldn't. They did not take any money with them. They didn't take any food with them. 
they had some, not even a tent, they had some sleeping bags and a bivy bag. I don't know if you know what that means. It's where you put your sleeping bag in and it's protected from rain. So they had their bus tickets to go to Wales and to come back. They had a few addresses on the way where they invited, where they were invited to stay. And they went out for two months and they had an amazing experience. Like, a, a, part of it was just what I described before. And they met people on the way who were asking them, who are you, where do you come from? What is your life about? So there was a lot of space for them to share what, what it means to be a Buddhist nun, how our life in the monastery is happening, what they were doing there in Wales. And they got many invitations to stay overnight and they had also many nights where they just slept out somewhere on the edge of a field or in a, in a kind of in a barn or whatever was available, whatever was possible for that night. And it, that goes back to that very ancient tradition to be fine with the roof over the head for one night. And what I'm describing now is more the aspect of faith that we experience as monastics in our tradition. And I think you, when you look at that, you can make a connection towards your own life. I don't mean that you take an arms ball <laughs> and go out and wander for weeks in the open. And, but I think what it points us at is that when we trust that that what is available, that what we receive is fine, is good enough, can, can we and want, do we want to open to that? Can we actually look? at what is given here, what is given in this moment. How do I relate to that? Do I have very strong, very fixed expectations of how I want my life to unfold? If that is the case, if that is the case for you, you probably experience quite a bit of suffering because it doesn't happen always that way. <laughs> That's at least what I know. <laughs> and I assume it's similar for you because we all are human. And into that flows also that this realm, the, room, the human realm that we are living in, is not perfect. And can we admit that? Can we trust that even it is not perfect, it still is all right as it is, as it influences this life, this moment, this situation, this relationship, this work situation. Can I accept it? Can I develop the trust that each moment, each situation, 
is a possibility to grow, is a possibility to learn, and that by stepping into that space of faith, of trust, I allow that what is possible to unfold. Can I really open the heart towards that? Can I allow the resonance of the heart in response to this situation? Even if it is difficult, even if it is not what I expected it to be, And I think that is also in relation to your family, to your friends, to your all day life situations. What kind of place has faith and trust in that? Or in regards to the teaching to the spiritual path you're following. Often in regards to the spiritual path, faith is seen with something, ah, it's something that you need to believe and it's something that you have to do in order to follow this path. But I think probably for all of you here, it is clear that the Buddhist path is not like that. It's a path of investigation. It's a path of developing trust, I would say, developing, allowing trust and faith to grow through, through investigation, through building up awareness and by the experience of awareness in your practice, while you are practicing, faith comes in because, like one example is, you go through a very difficult time. You see your practice is actually supporting you through that time. Awareness is helping to hold whatever comes up in this situation. And by going through these times and moving out of it, you experience, well, it is possible. I haven't completely fallen apart. Maybe some identification, some sense of self has been shattered, which is actually quite good to say. But the world still exists. There is still ground, but there are changes. And it is okay. Actually, that is a new sense of trust that evolves out of that. That we can say, yes, part of the practice is these painful experiences that come up. When we meet with those places, inside our hearts that are not resolved. And the practice 
helps us to come closer in contact with that. And by doing so, faith in the teaching, faith in the practice grows, becomes stronger, becomes more part of our lives. I like to offer this for your reflection for tonight, and I, oh, and I open the space for some questions. Yes, please. I have one. Um, there are many Buddhist activists, so I wondered how can you keep the energy going without hanging on to the results that you're trying to achieve? That is the point exactly. <laughs> <laughs> If you, yeah, if you try to achieve results, you're very soon frustrated and give up. <laughs> I think the point here is that um, what we are, it's actually a similar question that has, has been coming up yesterday after the talk I gave. It's like, how do we relate to our expectations? Like, if we have a very um, a very clear expectations of what we want to achieve, how we want things or a situation to unfold, if we go into a situation with a very fixed expectation, we will be very disappointed. I think what I try to point out is really moving into, the, in a, into a situation with the openness, the spaciousness of seeing what is possible here to unfold. In regards to the practice, I think this is what your question is, is related to, is that right? Right. I, I would just, I mean, in my current, I'm, I'm disappointed and frustrated achieving something and so how do you maintain the initiative to keep you know knocking on the door yeah I think the first step is really to see how you can let go of achievement that practice actually is pointed at moving into what is happening right now here not, is, not at what comes out of this. It's not a kind of, I do this and then I have that. It's, it's about being this, being here, being with. And that is enough. If I completely focus on that, everything is possible. And it only is possible now and here. Write this. <laughs> and if your attention is really turned towards this, every moment is perfect in itself. And this is like what, the medit- or what I see for myself, like the meditation practice, this is what it points at. It brings in the momentary experience And when you experience that in your practice, it also flows out into your all-day life. 
And then also in your older life, you don't look so much anymore at achievements. I want this to happen now and that to happen later. And this I never want to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Then we can be open for, oh, now comes this. Mm, How do I relate to that? Or this I have not expected to come. What's about that? Okay, how does it feel? Can I just be with it right now? Not tomorrow, but now. I mean, this is, I hope this is an answer to your question. Mm. Yes, please. A variation on this question. The balance between activeness and passiveness. Yeah. yeah. Between doing and not doing. <laughs> yes. It's a very good question. I think um, wisdom comes in with that. I think, again, trust is part of that too. It's kind of, for me, it is like really looking inwards and looking at the resonance that a situation causes. Like, it would be helpful if you could give me an example. I could much more easily relate to that. Or do you, should I make one up? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not so personal, is it? <laughs> um, say, see what comes. Say, I'm in a, I mean, maybe what just happened for me lately is just, I bring something out of my own life. I have been coming over here to California, and it's the second, my second visit here, so I don't have kind of much expectations because <laughs> I don't know quite what's going on. I did not know quite what was going to come. And um, I have been coming over here with looking into a possibility of a nuns community to unfold. And like when I came over, before I came over, I've been saying, well, I have no clue. I don't know, except from some friends mentioning things to me. I, I did not know how that would really be like. I did not know how the response would be. So, What I said to myself before I left England was, okay, just be open, just see what happens, take it in, and don't try so much to do something about it. Is it understandable what I'm saying? Can you follow that? It was like if I, the difference would have been I'm coming and I'm having the program and I'm having to achieve something. But how I moved into it, okay, there is a vision, there is something that might be, that I envision to be possible. But coming here, really, to be open for what is there? Is there interest? What kind of interest is there? Does that go together with the vision that we have over there in England? 
And it was a very interesting process because it was not at all what I expected to be. I mean, on the whole, I can say there was much more interest than I expected it to be. I was, sometimes I was really just utterly surprised. And like, and I could see, and there were times where I really felt, oh, this is possible if I just do something now. And then, like, with the help of a friend, <laughs> I was also reminded, maybe it's not yet time to do. Just wait and see. And I feel like this is very helpful, whether to remind ourselves or to take the advice of a friend and say, well, actually, how much action, how much doing is really needed? Maybe it is just enough to be there, to listen, to receive. Maybe it is needed to go out, to create. But in this situation that I just described, it was a dance of relating and doing and stepping back, allowing. And I think for many situations in life it is like that. If we always go out, if we always do and create, there's not the space for the unexpected to come in and to happen. And I mean, what I can share with you, something very unexpected happened. Somebody offered land for that community to use. So it's just like, and it was definitely not what I expected to happen. But because there was the space, because there was not a fixed program, and you do this step and that step and that step, and that would all have been in place, that could not have happened. Do I make myself clear? Do I answer your question? Mm. I think that what I want to say is like this, you can take this example to many situations into your lives, I think. I mean, for me, it it is very often like that. It's kind of a balance between um, directing, doing, um, creating, and stepping back, listening, receiving, feeling, like intuitively feeling what, what a situation needs. And then also wisdom to come in to discern when is action needed and when is it not. Passion. <laughs> what I'm hearing you say is that passion, if you're using it to move past the moment, is not good. But to use it to be in the moment is. Yeah, I would agree to that. I would pass. I would e- equate passion with um, energy. It's a certain kind of energy, and I think. In, in Buddhist terms, we would call, it, there are different kinds of energy, but what you describe, or how, what I pick up on, is chanda. Like, chanda, energy, or virya, is what we need for our practice. If there is no chanda, if there is no interest, if there is no motivation, why should we sit down and practice? <laughs> I think 
probably everybody can relate to that. And yes, yeah, that is needed for many situations in our lives. And sometimes too much passion, too much energy can actually be in the way. And also for our practice, if we put too much energy into it, if we beca- the body becomes very tense. You probably end up with headaches and muscle aches. <laughs> so it's, again, finding the right balance between energy and flow, letting the energy flow. And that relates to many situations in life, too. Is that answering your question? Okay. Is there anything else that people would like to ask? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I um, this region to practice, did you practice somewhat differently than maybe in England? Like, are there cultural differences that can change things? Yes. Yes, I do. Do you want to know what they are? (laughs) (laughs) I tell them anyway, (laughs) if you want to hear it or not. Yes, I, I think there is. I what is very beautiful coming over here seeing the enthusiasm of people, like seeing your chanda, the energy, the interest, the motivation to practice. And I can also see that it comes probably from a need. And I, I didn't really expect that to be so strong, but I, what is obvious to me is that your pace of life is <laughs> while in Europe it's more like <laughs> we do also move on and we also have stress but it feels like my personal experience of being here is I have to make very clear boundaries to stop if I'm not doing it I can just I can <laughs> and the time is over <laughs> So I sometimes I just have to remind myself, okay, just take a bit of time on your own. Just integrate and ground and get settled. And I feel the need for that much stronger here than in, in Europe. And it's not in Europe, I'm not only in my monastery. I'm also going out, visiting places, doing teachings, but I feel like there's an intensity here. And I, yes, that's what I mean. And I'm like in the beginning, I was surprised about the chanda, about the motivation, but I do understand now why. Yeah, I can see why, and I think it's needed, and and also why I think it's needed to build up a place for a nun's monastery here where people can come and be, just be, without having to be. I think which is, this is very strong here, to have to be somebody, having to be something, having to prove the right for your existence. 
and just to remember each other, also like with friends, to remember each other. It's enough just that we are here. It's enough. <laughs> we don't have to prove why we are here. Just the, the fact of being here is enough for being. <laughs> and I think it's, it's helpful to remind each other on that. And the qualities that actually can unfold when we can allow ourselves and each other just to be without having to be. I think it's quite important. Yeah, that is what comes immediately when, when you ask this question. And I hear, I can see that many of you can very well relate to that. Probably everybody here. Are there any more questions? Oh. <laughs> Good. It seems as if in the Western culture, here, but I mean a lot of people that don't feel worthy. And I wonder if that was, I know it's maybe not in the Asian culture so much, but maybe in England. It's the same. Yes. I think that is what the Christian background brings into our lives. No, even, even if we never were brought up directly in the Christian faith, in, in the Christian tradition. I think the influence that the Christian culture has on our life, or the Christian religion has on our lives is very strong. It's like, I mean, if you see, like it has been growing over 2,000 years, and it has been infiltrating many aspects of our social life and it works there even like even if there wouldn't be no any church anymore that roots are still there and they do influence us like like it's just like how often do we feel guilty if we have done a mistake you know isn't it enough just to notice to know that Yes, I have done a mistake, and it's painful. I, I didn't want to make this mistake, but do we have to feel guilty for me? And I think that is very strongly rooted in the Christian upbringing, and like being the sinner who is ultimately wrong. And I think in Asia, in the Buddhist traditions, in the countries with the Buddhist traditions, they have a very different concept. They actually do love themselves, believe it or not. They like themselves. It's very strange for us. I, and I'm, I'm including myself in that. I, I also I find it hard to like myself, but I'm working on it. <laughs> and I think this is because also like when we like ourselves, we can like others. When we love ourselves, we can really love others. And we have compassion for ourselves. We can have truly compassion for others. And to trust that that is possible as part of the practice. <laughs> okay, should we stop here for today? It's shortly past nine now.